Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, good morning. All the people who love Jesus come to church on holiday weekends. Y'all made the cut. Good for you. <laughs> um, we're continuing our series called Stone Face, and today we're going to talk about um, an area that we're all experts in, and that is being tempted. And I'm sure that everyone here is tempted by some things, and there's some things that tempt you more than others, but today we're going to talk about three reasons why we fall to temptation and three ways that we can uh, prepare and hopefully not fall to temptation. You know, we're going to start out in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7, and uh, it's the theme verse for this sermon series. And, you know, we talked last week about uh, how decisions determine direction, and the decisions that we are making now are determining the direction that our life is going. And um, a lot of times the decisions that we make, we don't realize at the time how significant that they might be. You know, I bet there's plenty of us in this room that would have a, uh, a story about how, oh yeah, I just kind of went with friends and I ended up meeting the person I was going to marry. Or, you know, they, they did this and they didn't realize it, but it was a, a, the beginning of a decision that set off a chain reaction. And a lot of those things are good. And then some of them are not good. Some of those things were like, man, I wish I had known that this was going to be as far reaching a decision as it was. But that's the way life works. And so what we want to do is to make certain that in the moment that we make decisions that help set the direction of our lives in a way that honors God and that help us uh, to become the people that God wants us to be in the future. You know, we make our decisions, but our decisions make us. And, and that's an important part of life. And so the better the decisions that we can make, the better off we're going to be. And the best way to make decisions are to make all that you can before you're in that moment, before you're in a, a situation where you have to make one. And the more that you can make ahead of time and the more that you can be determined about, then the better off you're going to be. And so let's uh, begin with Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7. If you'd please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone determined to do his will, and I know that I will not be put to shame. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, it's interesting that he set his face to be like a stone determined beforehand that he was going to do the will of God. You know, I, I've yet to come across anybody that planned for a failure or planned to fall to temptation. You know, I, I haven't met anybody yet that said, yeah, you know what, I started this business and I was already planning seven years down the road, it was going to, you know, we were going to go bankrupt. I mean, nobody plans that way. I mean, sometimes those things happen, and sometimes that's part of life, but very, very seldom do we plan for things. We didn't plan that, that you know, our marriage was going to fall apart. We didn't plan that we were going to make this mistake, or that we were going to do that, or this was going to happen. We didn't plan on those things, but part of the problem when it comes to temptation is, is not only did we not plan, we didn't plan not to fail. And that's one of the things I want us to talk about today is you can't just float through life thinking, oh yeah, when temptation shows up, then I'll be ready and able to overcome it. We need to have plans to not fall to temptation. And that's what I want to talk about today. Failure a lot of times 
is the result of not being ready, not being prepared. And so the first thing that I, I want us to see is that's one of the reasons why we fall to temptation, because we weren't ready for it. We don't think about the fact that there are going to be opportunities to, to make those kind of decisions. And yet that's exact opposite of what the Scripture tells us to do. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, it says, Be on guard. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. We forget sometimes that there is an enemy. There, there's, we live in a place where there are two forces that are at war. There's God versus Satan, and we are the battleground. He is battle, there's a battle going on over us. And so not only do we have the forces we'd like to talk about, the fact that God had a plan for us, he sent Jesus to die on the cross so that we could be right with him and that we have the Holy Spirit. We, we do talk about all those things, and we should. But we also need to remember there's an enemy out there. And that enemy is thinking and planning and strategizing about how to bring us down. And I think, well, that seems a little, maybe that's a little melodramatic. All right, let's, let's look and see what the Scripture says. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. You have an enemy. And he is just looking for someone in a moment of weakness. And guess what? We all have moments of weakness. I bet if you were to think about it, there is a, there's something that causes you to be more susceptible to temptation than other times. Now, sometimes it's just being tired. You know, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get cranky with the kids, and you do all good, and then it's towards the end of the night, and, you know, you get a little tired, and it's... <laughs> I didn't mean to do that, but there it is. I mean... It can happen. Maybe it's after a disappointment or a hard day at work or a difficult time is we start feeling that disappointment or we start feeling sorry for ourselves. And one of the things we do a lot of times is we give ourselves permission. Well, you know what? I've had a hard week. So why can't I go blow off some steam? Why can't I go do this? Why, why shouldn't I be able to have a little fun or do this or whatever? And we become more susceptible to temptation. And so we need to understand when those times are and recognize that we have an enemy that is going to be coming after us. He is coming after you. Not just people in general, you in particular. Ephesians 6, 11 through 12, the enemy has a strategy that is tailor-made to you. You know, I've wondered sometimes, there are certain things that I'm not tempted by, and I'm sure there are for you too. And that's different between the two of us. But you know what? If I was in a room somewhere and somebody came in and brought a whole bag of cocaine and sat it there, it wouldn't bother me a lick. I ain't doing that. I've never been tempted to do that. As a matter of fact, nobody's ever even offered it to me. Nobody's ever come up to me, hey, hey, preacher, man, you want some coke? I mean, that just never happened. <laughs> now, I know for most of my life I've been in ministry, so maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. But here's the deal. I've never been offered a lot of the things that I'm not tempted by. But the things I am tempted by happen all the time. You ever notice that? I mean, it's like it's everywhere. I mean, now, if you were to come by and hand me a brand new credit card, hey, I put a big limit on there. And by the way, there's a gun show right down the road. It's got some things you really want. Dude, I'm, I'm tempted immediately, all right? And so there are things that, that we're tempted by, and the enemy knows what they are, not because he can 
see into your mind. He can't read your thoughts. But it ain't that hard to read your bank account or to watch what you're doing, is it? So there's a strategy that's tailored just to you. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. And that, that's, that word strategy, it means a concerted plan. He has a plan to bring you down. And part of that plan is he knows where you're weak and he knows when you're weak. And the more that we allow those things to happen in our lives, and we don't put up some, some guardrails, we're going to talk about that in a moment, the more we don't plan not to fail, the more susceptible we are to falling to temptation. And so we have to be careful and understand that, that we're going to be in those places where we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, I tell you that not because I want you to be over, you know, I, you can be overly fearful of the enemy. And I don't, we don't need to do that because Jesus has told us we can have victory. But we also don't need to be overly confident, okay? We need to understand that the enemy is going to attack us. And he's not going to attack us where we're strong. He's not going to attack us when we're strong. He's going to attack us when there's a moment of weakness. And that's when we usually least expect it. So we need to expect temptation in those moments. We need to understand how we work. You know, when is it that you're most susceptible to temptation? That may be different between us in this room. But when we know those things, we need to have some special attention and some strategies to defeat it in those moments. Now, one of the best things is Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. It says, these are gifts, and, and here's something I do. There's, there's some verse in here. I really want us to get to the last few of this passage, but I don't like to just take something out of context. I want you to kind of know the context in which it's given. So it's talking about gifts to the church and, and people that are gifted in areas. Now, these are gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So that's, there's a couple of, of things there that is those who are, who are called, and that's not just staff members. Some of those who are called to vocational ministry, but we also have a lot of people in this church who are called to, to lead men or, or to, to lead Bible studies or to, to work and, and to lead children or youth. And there's all different ways, lead women. And so they're, they're all called to equip people. And what are we called to equip them to? To grow in their faith and to mature in their faith as believers, all right? This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So that's the goal is to become mature, is to grow in your walk with the Lord. You know, ask yourself some questions. You know, now maybe you've only been saved for six months. And so you say, hey, do I know more now than I knew six months ago? Am I, do I love God more now than I did six months ago? If you've been saved for a while, that's a good, good question to ask yourself every year. Have I matured as a believer in the last year? Now, some years, guess what? Maybe you don't. Some years, maybe it's a little bit. Some years, it's a lot. Sometimes it's dependent upon circumstances, but a lot of times it's dependent on our choice. You know, I, I deal and I have with people 
That's one of the things about being somewhere over a period of time or being in ministry over a period of time is I know people that have been saved for 20, 30 years, and guess what? They're not really any more spiritually mature than they were when they were saved because they didn't choose to allow other people to speak in their lives truth. They didn't choose to grow in their walk with God. They didn't choose to be immersed in the Word. And so guess what? They're still making the same bad decisions they made 15, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago because they're not maturing. When you mature, here's what it says. Then we will all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every new kind of teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. I mean, here's the thing. You expect kids to fall for things. You know, I remember, you know, one of the greatest marketing tools ever was cereal makers because they would put toys in the cereal. And then there would be like a series of toys. And when you're a kid, you're like, man, I need that toy. Or I need to, I need to go to, we need to go to McDonald's because I need this thing. That they're, they're doing a whole set. I mean, it, it, it would suck you in. Well, guess what? If you're still doing that when you're 40, I mean, come on. Just, yeah, just buy a box of Cracker Jacks and move on with life. But here's the deal. You expect people to grow out of being susceptible to some of those things occasionally, don't you? Now, if you want to collect stuff, I don't care. I'm not saying there's a sin to collect. But here's the thing is you, you, you realize, you start to understand, you don't expect a six-year-old kid to get it. Dude, it's just a marketing ploy. Those toys cost about three cents. They're a little piece of plastic. But as you grow older, you expect people to kind of mature and understand, ah, it's a marketing thing. Hey, that's cool, whatever. But the problem is, is that you're, if you're still falling to the same things you fell for 20 years ago, sometimes that's because we're not maturing. We're not getting better. And you know what? Here's something God tells us. Tells us. And it's pretty clear. He says, hey, be holy because I'm holy. He tells us, hey, to grow. Paul tells people, grow up. Grow and mature in your faith. Are you maturing in your faith? Can you see some areas that you've matured in the years that you have known Jesus? And if you can't, make a decision today to mature, to grow, to grow in knowledge, to grow in faith, to grow in action. Hey, when you sow actions, you're going to reap a character. What kind of person do you want to be? Then sow that. That comes with maturity. So you have some that don't even think about there being an enemy, and then sometimes it's hard to remember that the devil has a strategy just for us. And then sometimes we think we're above temptation a little bit, don't we? Maybe we've, maybe we've whipped it for a little while. Here's the thing. No one is above temptation. No one. Here's, here's one of the things I will tell you. I've never been tempted to steal money from this church. I haven't, okay? But let me tell you what I did when I first got here. 
I made it a policy for myself and the staff, we don't handle any of the money. So not only was that something I wasn't tempted by, I made certain that I wasn't going to be tempted by it down the road. I don't have any of the bank account information. I don't have access to the bank accounts. I can't write a check. I mean, I, there's a, a, we have church credit cards that has our name on us, and anything that gets spent comes in, and you got to turn in a receipt, and you got to justify where it comes from. But I, I can't, if somebody said, oh, yeah, I bet you've been stealing money. Hey, whatever. I, ain't got, I can't get a hold of any of it if I wanted to. I can't go get any money. And see, there's two parts of that. It's not only have a, I, I have to recognize for myself. See, if you came and started putting big hunks of cash on my desk every day, hey, I might resist it for three years. But all it takes is one time I fall into a temptation to fall. You know what I'm saying? So what do we do? It's best to understand we're not above temptation and then don't put yourself in a position where not only can you be tempted, but don't put yourself in a situation where somebody can accuse you. See, let's say I was handling all the money and I was, and I was depositing and everything, and somebody accused me of stealing, I wouldn't have any defense because I wouldn't be able to prove anything. The way it is now, I'm going, you can accuse me all you want. You can track the money from when, when it comes into this church till it's in the bank and it's spent or whatever, and I ain't got no control over it at all. It never is in my hands. So I'm not worried about anybody accusing me of that. And I'm not worried to be tempt about being tempted by it because recognize no one's above temptation. You know, one of the things we do a lot of times is we, we overestimate our ability to resist temptation. You know how many stories I hear about failure that, well, I knew there was going to be this and this, but I, I figured I could resist it. I didn't think, I, 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 I figured it wouldn't be that big a deal. And it was. You know, we overestimate sometimes our ability to resist temptation. It takes energy to resist temptation when it's something you're really tempted by. You know, if you're on a diet and somebody puts a piece of cake down in front of you, and you go, hey, I don't really want the cake. No, thank you. I'm, I'm on a diet or whatever. Fine. But if they leave it there on your desk or on your, right in front of you all day long, you got to resist it all day long, don't you? Now, some of you are like, well, I don't like cake. Whatever it is you like. And I have no idea why you wouldn't like cake. But anyway, that's a whole other sermon. We don't want to go there. But here's the deal. It's easy maybe to resist it in a moment. But over time, it's going to work. I mean, after a while, man, that cake looks good. I'm not doing that cake. I'm not doing that cake. Maybe just one bite. Maybe just a little bite. That won't hurt. That's what we think about sin sometimes. One little bite of sin ain't going to hurt us. But one bite's never enough, is it? It's never enough. So understand that we are, our ability to resist temptation falls the longer we put ourselves in a position to be tempted. Now, one of the great things is, you know what? We are tempted, and sometimes we do fail, and sometimes we do fall. But we have a high priest that understands what that's like to be tempted and to be weak and to understand what weaknesses are. Hebrews 4, 15, 16, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. 
So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. There's two things there. When you fall, our, our initial response most of the time is to get away from the things of God. But you know what the Bible says? You go to him. Jesus understands weaknesses. That's why he died on the cross. And not only that, but in those moments when we are tempted, we should go to him. You know, you can, you can pray anywhere. Y'all know that, right? You can pray, hey, in your home, kneeling by your bed or however you want to do it, you can pray there. You can also be praying in the drive-thru at McDonald's. Lord, help me keep my temper here because this is taking a lot longer than I thought it was. Whatever you got to do, you can pray when you're driving. Keep, and it's okay to keep your eyes open, particularly if you're praying when you're driving. Y'all know that. It's okay. As a matter of fact, nowhere in the Bible does it say you should close your eyes and pray. Paul said we ought to pray without ceasing. Now, it doesn't mean that we necessarily, hey, all y'all need to be quiet right here in this here restaurant. I'm fitting to pray. It can be silent just between us and God. We don't have to impose it on everybody else. But we ought to be praying without ceasing. God, I need some help. I need some strength. I'm, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed by this temptation. This anger's rising up. God, help me to control it. Whatever it is, pray without ceasing. And here's the, here's the promise. We will find grace to help us when we need it most. And the times you need it most is the times you most need to pray and be asking God. Now, those are some of the th reasons why we fall, why we fail the temptation. Now I want to give you three ways to plan not to fail. Number one is set the line. All right, now that's, you know, that's a, we, we hear about that in football, and, you know, you got to set the line of scrimmage. Everything works from that. That's true. But here's the deal. And you overcoming temptation, the same thing's true. Set the line. Because here's what we want to do. Here's things I wonder about sometimes, and I, I get people asking questions. Well, you know, okay, at what point does it become sin? You know, I, I know the Bible says is lust is a sin, but, you know, how much can you look before it becomes sin? Or, you know, I like Amazon. How much can I order without before I become obsessed with it? Well, if Amazon has ever sent the police on a wellness check at your house because you ain't ordered anything in like three days, that might be over the line. I'm just saying. I don't know, but here's the deal. We always want to see how close can we get to that line without crossing over. That's what we're really asking. Well, you know, how much can I do this before it becomes sin? How much can I do that before it becomes sin? That's the wrong question. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, hey, you know what, just see, see if you can get up close to that line but not cross over it. Because the closer you get to it, the harder it is to resist it, isn't it? And there's part of us that we like that. But here's the thing. You know, you might get a little close up to it today, and that kind of gives you a thrill and that's enough. But tomorrow you get that close to it, it ain't going to do the same thing. And you want to go a little bit closer. And the longer you flirt with it, the greater the chance that you're going to cross the line. And so when I say set the line, what does it mean? Set the line way away from where the sin is. Choose not to be in that position. 
1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. You know that voice that says, man, don't do this, don't go there. Don't get close to this. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. Stay away from every kind of evil. So what is the best thing we should do? It's to stay as far away from it as we can. Why? Because here's the thing. The closer you get to slavery, the, close, the, the greater the chance you're going to be enslaved. Well, I see that's kind of being kind of dramatic. Here's what Jesus said, John 8, 34 through 36. Jesus replied, tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. Sin is never satisfied with one time, is it? Never is. All sin does, it can't ever really satisfy you. It can give you some momentary pleasure, but it always creates a desire to sin more. Sin never satisfies. It seeks to draw you in. Sin wants to take you farther than you want to go, and it wants to cost you more than you want to spend, and it wants to keep you long, and it wants to keep you longer than you want to stay. That's what sin does. So remember, stay away from slavery. Set the line far away from it. Live in freedom. Freedom doesn't mean you get to go do what you want to do. It means the opportunity to live with a clear conscience, to, to wake up in the morning and not have to worry about what happened the night before. That when you get done with the day, you don't have to worry about covering up your actions with people that you don't want to know what you did, the people you love, people you care about. That's what real freedom is. You know, one of, sometimes we think, oh, well, something's bad because God told us not to do it. But that's not right. God told us not to do it because it's bad. You understand? And Satan tries to wrap it up and, oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be fun. God's just trying to keep you from fun, but he's not. He's trying to keep you from sin, and what is evil, and what will destroy you, and what will enslave you. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. You know, the, the, the best moments in life are when you know you're, you have a right walk with God. That's the truth. When you have a clear conscience. Psalm 119, 1-3, Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his paths. Real joy comes from following God and being right with him. You know, that, and that's, that's guilt-free joy. That's guilt-free pleasure is following in the things of God. Even pleasure was invented by God. Sex was invented by God. But he gave us boundaries about how to use it so we wouldn't get hurt. It's a powerful thing. When you give a, a tool to someone that, that is powerful and has the, the ability to harm them, but it also has the ability to, to be a great benefit, you teach them and show them, hey, this is how you use this tool. And you want to be careful, don't get careless with it because it can cause great harm. 
Those things are gifts from God. And the guidelines that come with us with them are not meant to keep us from having more fun. It's to keep us from getting hurt. So remember to set the line. Here's the next thing is to count the cost. Count the cost. You know, it's, it's amazing to me how we work sometimes. I can tell you right now that God has always been faithful to, my, to me and my family when it comes to providing for us, when it comes to taking care of us, to leading us to the right place. And yet, there are still times when I look at the economy and I'm like, man, what's coming? And you, you can't help but worry about some of those things. Even though I know what God's Word says, hey, your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. I, can know, I, I know the Word of God says that. I know that God's always been faithful in the past, and yet I'm still sometimes tempted to worry about the worst possible scenario that could come. And I bet you're the same way. Now, when it comes to sin, we got a lot of faith in that. You want to know why? Because we always think the worst thing that can happen won't happen to us. We always think that we won't have to face the consequences. We always think we ain't going to get caught. We always think that, oh, yeah, it's going to turn out just fine. It's not a big deal. Nobody's ever going to know. It's not going to cost me anything. It's not going to ruin my marriage. It's not going to ruin my relationships with these folks. It's not going to cost me a job. It's not going to... We always think that way. So we have more faith sometimes in sin than we do in God. But here's what the Scriptures say. Numbers 32, 23, But if you fail to keep your word, then you will have sinned against the Lord and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. The Bible also says God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. And yet sometimes we just, well, it ain't going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me. Sometimes we have more, more faith in sin than we do in God. But the bottom line is, it's going to find you out. And it is going to cost. And so maybe before we enter into this place of sin, we need to think, you know what? If I do this, what could the cost be? What could this cost? Maybe it's just trust between my family and I. It might cost everything. And instead of thinking, oh, that won't happen to me, Think for just a minute, hey, what if all the, th the worst case things that could happen with the sin actually happened? I mean, how many conversations do you have with your kids? Look, when you did that, did you not know you could have broke your head and everything else? Don't do that. And they just look at you, oh, that wouldn't happen to me. And sometimes we deal with the warnings of God's Word in the same way. Oh, that wouldn't happen to me. We need to think about what would happen if it happened to us. Count the cost. The last thing is this, have an escape plan. You know, there's a story about Joseph, and Joseph was, the Bible says, beloved by his father. and His father gave him, you know, even favored him in some instances, I'm sure, which you can get into whether that's a good or bad thing. I get that. But his brothers resented him. Some of them hated him. And so he shows up out to him because his dad sent him out to make sure they were, you know, everything was going good with what they were assigned to do. 
And so they beat him up and threw him in a pit. Some of them wanted to kill him. And then they were, well, let's not kill him. We don't want to have that on our head. So, you know, apparently they had a line anyway. Some of them did. So they sold him into slavery. And he ends up in a man's house. And, and God favors him to the point. It, it was a, a wealthy man who was well-known in, in Egypt. And he gave him run over his whole, he, he let, eventually let him run his whole house. Said He had access to everything. He was in charge of all of it. Except for one thing. And then that one thing came to him. And that was Potiphar's wife. And so it says in Genesis 39, 6 through 7, so Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. I really, you know, Joseph's just one of my guys. I don't know. <laughs> and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. So now he's in this place of temptation. And you know what? He did what he was supposed to do. He stayed away from it as best he could. The Bible says he avoided her as much as possible. He stayed away from her in the house. So he did that. He told her. He counted the cost. He said, how can I do this evil? Your, your, your husband has given me access to everything in this home except you. How can I do this great evil and sin against him and most importantly against my God? And so he knew about the consequences. And he even told her, I'm not doing it. But you know what? There are going to be times in life where you're going to be thrust into a place of temptation. And so what happens? One day he ended up in the house. He was alone with her. Genesis 39, 12. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. But Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. See, sometimes it's better to lose a good coat than to lose your integrity and your honor. And he just left it. Guy had a plan. I mean, that wasn't something that just occurred to him. He's like, if I get trapped and this happens again, I'm getting away as fast as I can. He had an escape plan. And so we need to have a plan of escape about how we're going to get away or run away from temptation when it faces us. Make an excuse, hey guys, I got to go, I got something I got to deal with. You know, your temptations are usually going to come in friendly atmospheres. It's going to come with you out with your friends or maybe with a, with a friend. It's going to come in a, in a circumstance where you're not looking for it. Or maybe you put yourself in that spot. And in that moment, you're going to have to make a decision. Am I willing to do something uncomfortable? You know, leave my coat behind. Tell my friends I can't go on with you. Get out of a situation that you're in, even if it hurts somebody's feelings. What is your plan to get away from sin? Joseph had decided he was going to flee. And he did. And you know what? We don't run away from sin near, near enough, do we? We're in that moment and we think we can talk our way out of it. Or we think we, you know, we, we, we overestimate our ability to resist temptation. You know, how many times have you heard, oh, I'd never do that. that. That's somebody that sees themselves as above temptation, that they got it whipped. Don't be that person. Have a plan. Number one, set the line. 
Stay away from sin as much as you can. Make determinations in your life that you're going to be open. You know, if something tempts you, stay away from it. If you're tempted by this little thing in your hand all the time, you know what? My wife has my passwords. She can get into my phone and look at anything she wants to at any time. Same thing with hers. If you, unless you're like a double, double alt secret agent man, there ain't no reason why your spouse shouldn't be able to look at your phone whenever they want to. Now, you know, I get it if the whole fate of the world rests on you keeping your phone secret and you'd have to kill them if they saw it. Maybe that. But that's the only exception I can think of. They ought to be able to look at whatever they want. It ought to be open. And if they can't, why not? Build in some accountability into what you're doing. Build in some openness to people that you trust that'll, that'll watch over you, that'll tell you, hey, man, be careful. Be open. Have a way of escape. You know what? If you're tempted to be on your phone too much, you know, one of the things Apple does that, that there's lots of things they do I don't like, but I get this thing on my phone every week that tells, some of y'all have turned it off. You need to turn it back on. It tells you how much you've been on your phone all week long. Y'all know what I'm saying? And you're like, how many of y'all look at that thing and go, no way was I on there that much. I bet my, you know, no way. But it can suck you right in. Learn to build some things in your life where you, where you turn it over, put it down, and leave it for a while. And don't pick it up. If that's a place where you're tempted. Set a way of escape. Count the costs and beware and understand there's an enemy that's coming after you. And here's one of the good things. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. That's important to know. Because a lot of times we think, man, I'm the only one that struggles with this. You're not. I don't care what it is, you're not the only one. There are other people that struggle with it too. God's faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so you can endure. So here's the thing, have an escape plan, but know God's got one for you too. And be looking for a way to get out of the temptation. Understand other people are tempted just like you are. And you know what? It's important to have somebody to be accountable to. If there's an area that you failed in and maybe over consistently over a period of time, get with somebody that you trust and tell them, hey, this is an area that I'm struggling in. Oftentimes it can be your spouse, but it can be, if, if you're a man, get a man to hold you accountable. If you're a woman, get a woman. Don't do it the other way around. That's not good. Get somebody, unless it's your spouse. Get somebody that can hold you accountable. Hey, man, I'm struggling with this. Would you ask me this? or Would you give me some help here? Would you check on me? Be accountable. Look, those decisions that we make, even the ones sometimes you think nobody's going to find out about, they affect the people around you. They do. So be stone-faced. Determined to do God's will. Set the line. Make good choices. Don't put yourself in a position where you can fail, count the costs. Remember what sin can cost. 
and then have an escape plan. In the end, remember, you know, when you fail, get up and start it over again. And remember that we have a high priest that understands our weaknesses and that came and died so that we could be forgiven of our sins. You know, the, the biggest part of this is, is that relationship with God, that relationship with Jesus. If you don't have one, we want to give you the opportunity to begin a relationship with Jesus. I don't care how much you know about him. I don't care how many Bible verses you know, how many answers. I don't care if your parents, grandparents, and all the ones that came before are believers. Everybody has to make a decision about Jesus for themselves. You have to determine what you're going to do with Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. And so it may sound, well, how do you have a relationship with somebody you can't see? It begins with three things. Number one, you've got to admit you're a sinner that you need a Savior. See, Jesus died for your sins, but you've got to admit that you need Him. Admit that you've sinned. All of us have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Number two, you've got to believe that Jesus is God's Son. He wasn't just some guy. He's God's Son. He died on the cross for your sins and for mine. The third thing is you have to confess Jesus as Lord. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It really is that simple. You want to know why it's that simple? Because Jesus did the hard part. He lived and he, without sin, and he died on the cross so that he could die in our place. But we have to do our part. We have to admit we're sinners, believe in Jesus, ask forgiveness, turn away from our sins, and confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. And if you'd like to do that, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now by just leading you in a brief prayer of salvation. So I'm going to ask everyone if you'd bow your heads, close your eyes. And as I pray this prayer, if you would like to know your sins are forgiven, that you're right with God, and that that's going to be for eternity, you pray this with me right now. Dear God, Thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. Give me my sins. Come into my heart, my life. Cleanse me. Make me yours. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose on the third day according to Scripture. So today, I trust Jesus as my Savior, and I confess Him as my Lord. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I still don't want anybody looking around. Here's all I'm going to ask you to do. You don't have to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to say anything. I just want you to look up at me and keep looking until I see you because I want to pray for you. You made that decision today. You prayed that prayer, and you meant it. You look up at me right now until I see you. All right. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. It's important that you tell someone. There's different ways you can do that. If you're here with your parents, you know, if you're a youth or a teenager, tell your parents. 
or tell John, our youth pastor. If you're here with a guest or family member, tell them you made that decision. And then we would also love for you to tell us. And you can do that by a couple ways. John will be here up at the front. Right after the service, you can come tell him, and we'll have someone talk to you about it today. Or we'll set a time to talk to you about it in the future. Or there's a number you can text. Just text, I did it to that number. And we'll get back with you and set up a time to talk on the phone or in person. And there's two things we want to do. Number one, we want to answer any questions you might have about what you just prayed and what you just did. And number two, we want to talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. I want to make something very clear. We'd love to have you, but you don't have to join our church. We're not going to ask anything from you. We just want to help you take the next steps in following Jesus. So let somebody know. So right now, I want to pray for you and your new walk with Christ, and I also want to pray for each of us that God would steal us and and deliver us from temptation. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your, your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. I pray for those that made a decision today to trust you as Savior and Lord. I pray, God, that you'd lead them, you'd speak to them, help them to find the right church where they can mature in their walk with you. And Father, I pray for each of us that, Lord, you would help us to set our faces like stone to be obedient to you. And Father, to resist temptation, to do the right thing. And Father, we thank you for your word, your promises, and your truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.